Hello and welcome to section two of episode 22 of the LDFC Fan Zone podcast. I'm Sam Miles. And I'm Jack Ellis. And each episode, we'll be talking to an ex Leeds United player or manager about their time at the club. All of our episodes can be found on our LUFC Fanzo YouTube channel, as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcast. And last episode was the first section of episode 22 with Steve Evans. In that section, he spoke about his appointment at Leeds, and he even claimed that he was approached by Massimo to be the head coach at the start of the season, as opposed to when Juve Rosler was sat just 12 games in. Was that something which stood out for you, Jack, in that first section? Because it definitely surprised me. Yeah, to be fair, it did surprise me. He um, said that Massimo didn't want to pay Rotherham the compensation for Steve Evans, because obviously that's where we were at the time, and he opted to go for what was potentially the cheaper option with Juve uh, Rosler instead. And obviously, as we all know, Rosler only lasted 12 games at the club, and then Steve Evans was appointed. Did, did he end up paying the compensation fee to Rotherham for Evans? I think it was when Evans had left Rotherham. That was the whole reason why he came, but I'm not too sure, but that was definitely the reason why he said he didn't come at the start of the season, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And another issue Steve touched on in that first section was the January transfer window, which was his only transfer window whilst he was at Leeds. And he said that he was a bit upset in that month because, once again, Massimo, again, with these financial deals, was restricting him from bringing some players into the club. What did you make of that? Because to me, it felt like with them additions that Steve was going to bring in, because he mentioned them four loan players, didn't he? that they would have really given Leeds a chance of getting into the playoffs. Yeah, it would have been interesting to hear who them four lone players would have been. Well, I, I didn't want to push him on it either, to be fair. I, yeah. I could like we could have put I think if he would have asked him he would have told us, but I didn't yeah. didn't want to ask him. But uh Well yeah, that transfer window wasn't probably one of our best transfer windows because obviously we, we ended up selling Byram and as Steve said he was after four new lone players. Not necessarily to replace Byron, but just to bolster the squad a little bit and if you also remember he, he touched on that the sponsor at the time I forget his name but obviously Clipper uh, was offering to fund the loans which obviously Salino declined as well which was I could see why but still you surely want the best for the club yeah like he said the reason why he allowed Byron to be sold was to use the funds for the loans but Chilino pulled out of that he said didn't he but in this second section of episode 22, Steve talks about his final months at Leeds, stating that it was also close to returning to the club the following season after Gary Monk was appointed. And he claimed that Massimo rang him when Leeds were 1-0 down at Fleetwood, saying that he wanted him back at the club if Leeds lost that match. However, after a late Mark Santonson equaliser and Leeds winning that match at Fleetwood on penalties, Monk did keep the job and Evans' return to Leeds was off the cards. But in this episode, and it's resumed by Steve talking about the ambitions for that season whilst he was in charge after such a poor start under Juve Rosler. And just going back, when you did arrive at Leeds, like we mentioned, the side was close to the relegation zone. And However, by January, Leeds were in 13th in the Championship, which we could argue is far, far better and where we probably wouldn't have expected us to be by that point. And what was your target for that season? Because avoiding relegation was always a given, being at Leeds, Leeds couldn't have afforded to get relegated to League One. But because of that poor start, the playoffs, you know, did you ever think the playoffs might have been a little bit out of reach at that point? No, I didn't. I, when I first came in, the, my immediate brief, or my only brief from the owner was to not, not send him when he goes away for Christmas, which he does with his family, he's entitled to do that. When uh, Mr Chile says, when I go with my family at Christmas or Easter, I do not, not want to be going on holiday because I'm here in the stadium fighting against relegation. So I don't want any relegation fees. 
And if you do that, then I'll support you in various ways, like bringing players in. Well, I don't think we gave them any chance of winning away at Christmas Eve. We were in 13 place. We were certainly nearer the playoffs than, the, than going down. Uh, we took all those fears away. And um, so I think if he had supported it, I think we would have made the playoffs. Um, so, the, so the club objective for me was, was not to be anywhere near the relegation zone. We never were after a few weeks. And my personal objective is I really felt as we went through the Christmas period, they could have beaten Hull at home, who were, I think they were league leaders when we beat them. But when we beat them that day, I can remember having a beer with Steve Bruce afterwards. And I said to Bruce, yeah, I just got, we could do this. And he said, yeah, January is important for you. I agree with you. And he's, he's an expert in the championship in terms of getting clubs out of it. And he sat there and said, I think if he supports you, you will. But he didn't support us. That's, that's the reality. Um, it may have been down to finance and protecting the club. And if that's the case and he shared it, then you have to need to respect that. It, it, it just felt, it felt worse because when he said to me, if you get the type of deal that we eventually got from West Ham for Sam Byron, then I'll support you in this market. And it, and it didn't happen. Yeah. What could have been? And the form after January was, <laughs> the form after January was quite varied in the second half of the season. Leeds went through spells of going four or five games without a win, but then managing to pick up three wins on the bounce. How frustrating was that for you as a manager? Because when you go through them three wins on the bounce, like, I mean, obviously you, you, your aim was playoffs, but when you go in on them consecutive winning streaks, you must be thinking to yourself, we can do this, we can do this. And then when you suddenly turn a corner and you're losing the games, it must be quite frustrating for you, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think I think when you look at all the league tables, guys, it is the teams who get into the playoffs are the teams that do win three or four games. They might lose three or four, but they win three or four, they lose two or three, then they win three or four. And it's those little three and four game runs that get you into the playoffs. And uh, it can never, ever overly... You don't get carried away when you're winning. You don't get too depressed when you're losing. Um, but what you do know is if you can chop up little um, winning runs of three games and then you, you lose to three, but you, you get nine points and suddenly, you know, if you out of six games, if you've won three and you've lost three, you're, you're still averaging the points to take you into the playoffs. So um, that shouldn't be forgotten, but... I think as well in the in the games when we were losing, I think when you looked at the, there was too many changes and continued having to be made in the starting team because we were losing players with injury. We are losing key players with suspension. And that really affects you. If we had brought those other three or four players in that we discussed, yeah, they might not start every week. I personally think we would have done. But if they don't, then you've still got great competition. You've still got who would be playing at that time, coming off the bench or coming in to play. Instead of that, we were we were having it at times to bring players in that we knew weren't ready or weren't good enough to to take where Leeds needed to be. And like we spoke about as well, the the squad was full of mixed nationalities. You know, we had obviously English players, we had the Italian players as well. Like you mentioned, Gaetano as well. I believe could speak Italian yeah. from his time in Italy. Yeah. And as well, we we spoke to a few people from around your time at the club. We spoke to Sol, wishing the best with his recovery as well. Uh, who else? Belusky and Bianchi as well. Yeah. They've they've yeah. all argued that when they were all at the club, this seemed to be like a split in the dressing room, whether it be language barrier or whichever, I don't know. But what was that like for you as a manager? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I can't, I'm never in the dressing room enough on a daily basis to, to see whether there's a division of how it looks. But I think there was no doubt there was um, the guys who were from overseas, mostly Italian or of that decent, would meet in the evening, would go for dinner, would be with the wives. And and the guys from the UK or Ireland, whatever it is, would do the same with on their side. So it, it did it did come across like that. I think the only other time I've 
One of the time I seen it when I felt this isn't right and I had to do something about it was I can remember one of the international breaks coming up and I said to the players we'd be in for so many days and off for so many days to give them a break. And Mr. Cholino had told the <laughs> had told the foreign guys they could all go home for, for a week and we turn <laughs> up at Dora Parch and it's only me and the and, and, and the Brits, if you call it that. And uh and I was told that they'd have to be in for most of the week because this was their home, but I soon sent them on. I had to, uh, <laughs> as you said, boys, we, we, we play together, we train together, we break together. They've gone for a break with their families. You wanted a break with your families. And, you know, the, the I think Saul was one of the boys that was in, but, you know, the, the Liam Coopers and, and the Cookies and, and, you know, and people like that, you know, young Ronaldo, the people like that were, were buzzing just off the fact, Chris Wood as well, buzzing that I could say, right, away you go and you will be cool here and we'll come back in together and, uh, I think the president was a bit upset with that decision. <laughs> I can remember getting off as to why I've done it, but um, he accepted it. He accepted it over dinner like, later that evening when I said, "You, it's uh, one for all and all for one, and that's how dressing rooms have to be. So um, so we, we got through that sticky point. I thought it was, he was quite loud when I was telling him that I've uh, sent them all home for the week. And one of the lowest points in the second half that season was a 4-0 away loss to Brighton where, although Brighton were battling for the championship title, Leeds had just one shot on target. What can you remember about that match? Because not only were Leeds 4-0 down at half-time, but Massimo was reportedly at the game and he also yeah. left at half-time. And he yeah. also reportedly said that when he did leave to not speak to the media after the game, was there a reason why he requested that? Um, I never asked him what the reason was, but what do you remember about that game uh, first time? I'll tell you what I do remember, and some Leeds fans are going to go back and look at this. We missed two big chances in them, two sitters. And um, and if we take one of them, it, it, I can remember Chris Hutton said to me afterwards, if you take one of those two chances, it's a completely different game. And it is. Yeah. Anyway, we are 4 now down at half-time. And if we're all being honest, Sam, when I look back at that, it could be more than four as it went towards a half-time interval. Um, I wasn't aware that Massimo had left the stadium at half time. I'm more focused on the team. Um, we changed one or two people in the in the team, as you know, for the second half. We said, let's win the second half. If we don't win it, let's not lose it. Let's compete. We did. We didn't concede any further goals, so it, it finished at that score line. And then after the game, I've gone in and we've got a couple of great media guys, and they just said we the owner has asked you not to deal with the media, and they'll speak to you tomorrow. So. As a professional, you have to accept that. I know the media guys did it well anyway, so that was easy just to say it's a request from the owner because that then breaks as the news all over uh, particular skies and he's, he's getting sacked in the morning. Uh, but what people didn't know is, you know, I was only minutes on the team coach in terms of heading north when um, when the owner rang me and said there is no issue here about whether you're going to be staying or you're going to be staying. I just didn't want you to go in there and, and defend the impossible because you have to take it back on the nose, the same as the players does us that that is let us as a football club down tonight and we all take the um we all take the pain that that's gonna cause. So let's not talk about it in public. Let's get back in the in the camp tomorrow. Let's get up on the screen, let's analyse it, let's look at it, let's see where we went wrong and, and that's what we did. So it was probably drawn uh strewn more out in the media than what, what the reality of the situation was because that's how it media companies asking me and the local press and leads asking me next day if I was going to be um, still employed and uh, and I knew fine well what the owner had said but he did at that time say this conversation is between uh, the president and the, and the head coach. And 
I can imagine the scenes in the change rooms at half time when there might have been a trademark Steve Evans hairdryer treatment. <laughs> but <laughs> but of course, Leeds had some young players in that squad, like we mentioned, Louis Cook, Charlie Taylor, Moat, and Louis Coyle even started that game at the Amex. Yeah. So yeah. did that affect the way you changed? Did that affect the way you spoke to the players, both at that match and throughout the season? Because sometimes, especially with the younger players, that sort of approach sometimes has the opposite effect. No, you're right. 100% you're right, Sam. It's, there, is, there can be the Steve Evans hairdryer treatment, but I don't think a young player can sit there and say he's happy, unless it's exceptional. I think if I'd have gone into uh, the visitor's dressing room at the Amex and, and started laying into these young kids, I think we'd have got me eight. I think they were, they were on the verge. I still reminded them in the uh, half-time, despite being four, how good we can be, how we started the game for the first 10 minutes. Hard to say publicly when you're 4-0 down and come out and defend that, but I remind them how good we were, how we'd been leading up to that game, how training had been, and to go out and have some belief and a belief. And, and I, I think that carried us forward. I think I never once spoke about the players letting their one down. I, I just spoke about our performance needs to be a lot better. And despite Brighton, one of the highlights from the second half of the season was the following away match, which was a 2-0 win at Cardiff. The first time Leeds had won away at Cardiff and done the double over them since 1984. And Cardiff, like Brighton, were towards the top end of the championship at the time. So what changed to get a completely different result there? You know, I think I think it's hard to, to say, Jack, in, in other than on the training room. But I think, I think we probably... You don't get any credit, and you're not, never going to get credit when you lose 4 0. But I think there was periods of the second half of Brighton at that mix, which were very, very good, really good. Um, but if you don't score a goal and it still finishes the 4 0 scoreline, everyone remembers the first half mauling, don't they? That's what they remember. So we went to Cardiff and we said we have a game plan. Let's believe in each other. And I think we had some real, real big performances that night. I think our goalkeeper was very good early on, made two or three good saves. And um, but I think when we scored the first goal, there was a real belief in the team, and it was a deserved two 0 victory. Could have been more than that. Yeah, and that win at Cardiff was one of six wins between the end of January and the final game of the season at Preston. However, after Leeds' final win of the year against Wolves at Elland Road, there was some rumours following a few comical errors in previous matches from Giuseppe Belusky that the Italian stormed out of training after you dropped him to the bench for the for the, for the following game at Hull. Or the, sorry, the following game against Hull was that true? And if so, what was it like being in charge of a group of players like that? Because there were a few other reports that similar incidents had happened at Thorpe Arch like that during the year, bust ups between players and other things like that. Yeah, no, and and to be fair to Philip, uh, he never stormed out. He was disappointed, screamed something in Italian. I wasn't fluent in Italian, so it over my head. Um, when we when we picked a team. I turned to Saul, I said, Saul, was that at me? He says, I think it's just general, he's not happy, he's not playing. Well, get on with it. That's that's what happens in football. So we um, we produced a good performance of it at home, didn't we? I think we scored, was it Dallas? Met scored late? I think yeah, it was. Yeah. 85th, yeah. 88th minute, something like that, yeah. Yeah, he comes in and hits on his left foot, I think, and he comes inside. But I think from um, from memory, our second half was really dominant that day. So, but I didn't, I didn't have any issues with the players. I think we managed them really well. We understood at times that if they weren't playing for a couple of weeks and if their weights were in Italy or Switzerland or somewhere else, you could send them away for an extra day and let them come back a day later. And, and, and if you were seen to be doing that with everyone, it would be the first time I'd give permission for, uh, for Saul Bamba to take an extra day, or even the young ones. Sometimes the pressure on our Lewis Cook and these guys was intense at times, being from the area as well. So sometimes it would be 
could just to say the aim of an extra day. So we, we didn't have many uh, tantrums of it. I think there were many before me, um, <laughs> but I know the type of head coach that takes them because I just tell them to go home and, and stay at home until such times as they, they take the dummy out of the mouth and they, got, they want to play football. <laughs> and the final game of that season was, of course, away to Preston. And when you signed at Leeds, you were given a rolling contract, meaning that after that game, another year at Leeds could have been a possibility for yourself. But going into that game, did you think it was going to be your last? Or were you optimistic that you would have been able to stay at Leeds for the following season? Yeah, I think it's the only it's the only occasion. Well, there was two occasions. It was a transfer deadline day. And the only other occasion I could say the owner let me down is he actually asked me to go and see him at uh, Ellen Road the day before we departed for the Preston game. And he actually told me that he was going to take the option up and I'd stay for a further year. And listen, there's me and him in the office. I only asked her one thing that could I could I tell him well, he'd asked me not to speak to the media, I'd tell anyone it was private, which I respected. It's called business. And I just said, Can I tell my wife and my two daughters? And he said, Of course. Um and then and we went to Preston and you know, days after Preston you quickly read things, you see things, you get a feeling it's it's not going to be the case. And that would be the only time that I personally, forget transfer window, that's club business, but I personally let down, someone told you, someone told you, you've got a job today and shake your hand and, and then tomorrow you, Jack's got your job. Um, <laughs> you'd be, uh, you'd be, you'd be a little bit peeved. And, um, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't angry. I was, I was just really hot, hot, really hot because, you know, I, I said it when I went in and I'd say it, I'd say it every time and they asked me about these, I'd say it's a, it's just a fantastic football club in a fantastic city. So, um, you know, and I, when I got told officially that it wasn't going to be taken up after he told me it was, um, we got the secretary to do it, which was disappointing. And at Ellen Road, and I drove, I drove all the way down home in, in tears and then put my brave face on before that, brought into the house. And the game itself, you handed a debut to Ronaldo Vieira, who at the time was just 17, and the match finished 1-1. But after the game, you spent quite a lot of time on the pitch and clapping the saluting Leeds fans, and you did seem quite emotional. So what were them five, ten minutes after the full-time whistle like for you? Phenomenal. Um, the odd time, and it is the odd time, probably two or three times since I've left Leeds in that five or six years, we I'll watch back on that last day that I got the 30 cent boy sky. So, um, very emotional. Everywhere you went with Leeds, you know, if, if Leeds played in the, the top of Ben Nevis, there'd be, there'd be 15,000 fans there, wouldn't they? Around the, around the peak, you know, they'd be there. And, um, every game that you out, you get, you don't get used to it. You don't get, you don't ever think it to just be taken for granted. But turning up in the last day of season at Preston, nothing to play for, but, but that's far. I think we dropped a, I think we dropped maybe a place or two by losing our injury time goal. Um, but there's still 10, 12,000 Leeds fans. Incredible. And, uh, and I just felt very humble to have, to have served them for that time period. I really did believe that day I was coming back. Um, I really think that day I thought I'd have made them better. But, um, given a few days later, a week later, when the, the owner told me that, um, he had someone interested in buying the club, who's now the current owner. Uh, and they wanted someone who had managed in the Premier League. Well, I could give them a lot of things and perhaps minus a few things in my CV, but I couldn't, I couldn't give them being a head coach or managing the Premier League. So if that was what they were discussing and bringing someone in to put in some investment into the club and subsequently buying it, then I had to accept it. 
And then, like you said, on the 31st of May, which was three weeks after that game at Preston, it was officially announced that your contract at Leeds would not be extended and your time at the club was come to an end. How and when did you find out about that news and how did you react to it? So especially saying that he told you about that you would be yeah. staying on. Yeah, he told, he told me the day before the last game. Um, and it was the day before it became publicly announced. I was told by the club secretary that Mr. Julian had decided that the option was not going to be taken up. Um, and he would, he would speak to me later that summer. And, um, it's, it's really interesting. I, I, I just got told and I was, I was devastated. But if I'm being honest, there was, there was bits breaking on television, rumours linking in the press. Mm-hmm. Different managers, not just Gary Monk, different managers. Yeah, Carl different. Robinson wanted it and uh, yeah. Daryl Clark. Yeah. yeah. And it you know, and it, I don't think they, I don't think Carl Robinson or Daryl Clark ever get spoke to because when you speak to Gary Monk it was only ever going to be Gary Monk. But I think they the two guys are good agents who linked him with it because Mr. Chilino was not talking publicly about what he was doing. So I think they used that signation to get a link. But I was I was really, really disappointed that anyone who loses the the job as head coach of Leeds United, I'm, I'm telling you guys, is going to be is going to be devastating. How was your relationship with Massimo? Because to fans, he was someone who seemed to make Leeds appear in the headlines quite often, but most of the time for the wrong reasons, usually to do with himself as opposed to the team. But what was he like to work with, and how did you find him? Yeah, listen, I had a good relationship with him. I had a very professional relationship. I wasn't never friends with him. I had a very professional relationship. He understood that. I decamped to move myself into Leeds and I lived and breathed it every day that I, I was, you know, I was around it every time I was on the job. So, um, I had a good relationship with him. Um, we could discuss players. He's got a good knowledge of players. It's quite interesting. I met Gary Monk maybe a year or so later and we got talking about both being at Leeds. I think Gary was at Middlesbrough at the time and he said, what did you find of Massimo? And my honest view is he didn't influence things, but boy, he knows systems. He knows players. He's an educated man in the sport. Um, but he just upsets different people for different reasons, for no, you know, rhyme or reason at times. And he said he, exactly what he thought. You know, you could go and have a chat about why you need, why, why you need a different right back, why you need to play in a certain system against a certain type of opposition. He could understand all that. And, and not everyone in football anywhere in the world does get that. I want them do now. More and more into it. But uh, so I had a, I had a, I had a good relationship and. You know, it would never feel better than twisted because he did give me the opportunity to manage such a great club, but felt really, really let down and disappointed. Considering I said to him, guys, can I, can I tell my wife and kids? If he'd have said to me, just keep it to us two, I wouldn't have told my wife 100%. But when he said that and he'd met them, they didn't come in many games, but they came to me. And, um, he called them the, the coach's beautiful ladies. And that's my wife with two dogs. But it then hopped me telling them that I delight, cried, everything telling them that I was going to be staying. Uh, on the evening of the when I come back from Preston to to them reading things and seeing things in the press that you guys would, and then ultimately being told I'm I'm not for them. So that that was a little bit hopeful, but you you pick up and you move on, don't you? I can imagine that wasn't the easiest pill to swallow. But in total, no. you spent 38 matches as head coach at Leeds and winning 14 of which and guided the side to a comfortable mid-table finish from such a poor start that year under Rosler. And although you might have hoped for a slightly longer and better time at the club, in summary, how did you find your time at the club and what was it like to leave? Heart-wrenching to leave. Loved every minute of it. A lot of the people still there. I mean, the guys in the, in the 
boys and girls, guys and ladies, ladies and gents, whatever it is, behind the scenes and the commercial side and the offices around the stadium, the stewards, they don't do it for money at Leeds. You know, Leeds are not, by tradition, big players because it's a hard-working city, but they were just ingrained Leeds United. Everyone was ingrained Leeds United. It's, uh, it, was, it was phenomenal. Everyone wanted you to win so much. doesn't matter who the head coach was. doesn't matter who the player was. doesn't matter who scored the goal. They'd favourites, of course, we all do. Um, but they, they just wanted their club, their city, um, to be successful. So um, so I once spoke to a very good friend of mine who's the chairman of Rotherham. And I once said to Tony Stewart, if you weren't chairman of Rotherham and you had enough money, what, what club would you buy in, in British football? And he said, he never said these, but I'll tell you what he did say, guys, which rings with me. He said, I would buy one club in one city. So that meant I'd never buy a Manchester club. I'd never buy a Sheffield club. So he said, but I would buy one club, one city, because it means everything to them. And um, and and when I got the Leeds job, he, he rang me and said, there you go, one club, one city. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was, it was a fantastic experience in my life. Looking back at your time at Leeds, which is now five years on, as we said at the beginning, is there anything that you would have changed or do you have any regrets at all about your time at the club? Uh, no regrets. I think, oh, I think I should have persuaded Steve Parkin to <laughs> to just fund those loan players back in deadline day and just do it. You know, Steve's a very wealthy man, but he's a huge fan. He, he sat in that office, guys, and he said to myself, I'll fund this. I'll pay the wages. And, that, and it was therefore you realise when Massimo says no, you realise it wasn't about the money. Um, it was just a bit he's the owner he makes the final decision he doesn't want to do it and you have to respect that um, I couldn't change that obviously um, but I wouldn't change anything else I'll give it I'll give it all my life I'll give it everything I've got I've got some great friends now um, they'll be friends for life I've been back to Ellen Road on two occasions in trip absolutely like a king in the boardroom and sitting in the box and, and very humble, very privileged old to, to do so. And I hope you don't mind me saying this, Steve, but although you might not have transformed Leeds into the side, you might have wanted to on the pitch. For you personally, you seemingly trans- transformed yourself when you were at the club. As physically, you looked like a completely different person when you left the club <laughs> compared to when you joined seven months prior. Was yeah. that just down to all the stress that Leeds caused you like it does to us fans or was it yeah. something which you purposely tried to change? And if so, that, what made you? No, I think I think about both. I think about both. I think there's there is a lot of stress that, that you go through. So um and and I think a conscientious effort just to say, right, we need to get some fit. Of course I moved away from the family, so I lived up in Leeds myself, so there was a lot of spare time where now you'd be travelling and and um, and travelling home, whereas I was I was on my own, so I'd spend more time at Thorpe Park with the fitness team and and stuff like that. So naturally, these guys would be working with either injured players, rehabilitation players, or on themselves. And um, and you know, like anything, if you get into the zone of doing something, then that, that's what happened. It was me. It was me. Somewhere we sat and said, "This is what we're going to do." It's just something that we we fell into. And. Like we said, of course, you're still managing in England as a manager of Gillingham. But despite your exit from Leeds, do you still want them to do well and look out for the results? Oh, yeah, very much so. I can remember when um, I think I was live on, um, I was doing a live television show on Sky one day when they appointed Marcello. And I said, 
I said I don't really know him, and I, I said why they're not going for a for somebody like Steve Bruce. So somebody knows what it's like to win away in the championship on a Tuesday night, and what it takes to go to Craven Cottage, what it takes to go to Middlesbrough, what it what it takes to do this. Um, but having then took the opportunity four months later to go up to Thorpe Archer and walk and watch him walk, then you realised what was coming. You know, the first two months of Marcello's reign, don't forget the players hated it because there was this fitness regime and he's locking them inside um, little cabins in Thorpe Park and not allowed to go home and he's almost kidnapped him. And people <laughs> saying, I'm going to walk. And, um, and I can remember different, numerous players telling me, you buy into it when you're winning. So they started winning games, so they bought into it. And um, and when they start winning games, then you uh, it's easy to, to tell players. You can tell a player to, to go and stand at a corner flag and no move, but the rest of the team are 1-3-0 today. If that can be proven, nobody have a problem going to stand at a corner flag. So, uh, so that, that, was, that was fantastic for me. My disappointment was, I think we took them from a point of relegation to mid-table. We certainly would have been in the playoffs, if not, close to the playoffs and we'd have got a little bit of support and I think I'd love the opportunity to build on that I think if I'd have done it um, I wouldn't have missed promotion the next season you know the, the centre half is now playing at Brentford was, was already joining I'd done that deal myself um, so there was a lot of there was a lot of good things that we we'd put in place that I then watched from a distance um, I watched it on follow at least but let me tell you a little exclusive for your show um, this you'll know the night. I don't know the exact dates, but when I came out of Leeds, we left it a few weeks and then went off in different little holidays with the family. And you'll tell me the dates, guys. Uh, Leeds United were away to Fleetwood in the cup. And oh, losing, yeah, yeah. They were losing 1 0. Massimo Cellino called me. I was at dinner and there was 15 minutes to go in the game. And he said to me, Coach, where are you? I said, In Cyprus. He says, Coach, we lose this game. I want you to come to Leeds tomorrow. <laughs> and um, wow. and uh, you can imagine my disappointment when my wife looked across <sighs> in the second minute. As much as I was happy for Leeds and thinking about the fans celebrating, I was devastated for myself. I never then heard from Massimo for about two months. And he called me up just to say, Coach, if we'd have lost that game, you were coming back. Oh, wow, double whammy. You know, <laughs> yeah. so, so I still want the club to be successful. And and I think Marcello will will make them successful and and take them back to where they belong. And everyone knows it's when I got the job at Leeds, Alex Ferguson who doesn't like Leeds, but he he purposely rang me up and said, "Son, you joined one of the top six clubs, if not top three, in British football." And um, and Leeds United were in the championship. He said, "Don't tell too many Leeds fans I told you that," but he did. And uh, <laughs> so it was uh, it was an absolute. Yeah, pleasure and, and a huge part of what I'll always remember when I'm not managing it anymore. This final section of the show is where our followers get to ask their questions to our guests by commenting on our LUFC fans on Instagram post. Every episode, we select four questions which are commented and put them forward to our guest. This week's first question comes from Jerome, who asks, The last few seasons, Calvin Phillips has obviously been an influential member of the Leeds team. However, when you were when when you were head coach, you barely featured. Would you be okay to answer why that was and why back then? Yeah, go on. Yeah, I think think Calvin Phillips was was a young lad um, that was behind it. In my opinion, at that time, was behind Lewis Cook and was fighting hard to get in. And um, we had several conversations with Calvin because he's a 
he's he's a Leeds boy. He, he's he's bizarre with it, isn't he? He's, uh, and we said to him, his his time will come. Had I stayed, then Massimo would tell you, and so would Paul Bell tell you that in a that in the uh, office at Ellen Road, I had boards up there for most parts of a successful team next season. And Calvin Phillips was going to be playing a major part in that. He was up there. Um, I knew Lewis Cook was going to be sold because of the because of the money's involved. Um, so, so therefore, Calvin was was going to take that on, and and it's fair to say he's he's gone on to levels that that has surpassed any whatever I ever say. They'll all tell you now. Oh, I knew he was going to be a great player. I never knew then. No one said to me put him in front of Cookie, um, <laughs> but we knew Cookie was going. I believed in Calvin, but he's he's surpassed all levels. He's a he's an international now. He's for sure. I've, I, I watch him with real pride because I also know what it means to him. It means, so like me with Glasgow Celtic, they're in the middle of me, the United's in the middle of Calvin, that, that means even more to him. This week's second question is from Will, who asks, whilst you were the head coach at Leeds, who do you think had the most talent in the squad? Oh, well, we had a lot of talented players for, for different reasons. Um, I loved Liam Cooper, loved him, thought he was a... Um, Brilliant, but he's a he's a big, uh, strong centre back, sweet left foot, can step in, can do other stuff. Um, I, I loved a lot of them. I love I love Lewis Cook. Um, I would say at that time the shining light was Lewis. He was he was phenomenal, and I always felt um, when we got him really sharp and fit that Chris Wood would be the talisman and lead the team and and score the goals. Um, but we we were blessed. There was there was a lot of fantastic players. Next up is Paul, and something which you just touched on just five minutes ago, actually. And he asks, when Marcelo Bielsa was appointed as the head coach at Leeds, you mentioned on Sky that you felt Leeds should have gone with someone British rather than Bielsa. Do you still think that Leeds should have appointed a British manager? No. <laughs> I, think, I think I said to you guys, I, I knew Marcelo Bielsa and I knew he'd been in, in Lille, and you're, and you're thinking, oh yeah, good coach, but Oh, coming into the championship is a, is a different ballpark. But you know, you come, you then come away from Sky that day, and you start to hear, you do start to hear Pep Guardiola talk about this guy. He's a genius. You hear uh, Mauricio, who I know well, Pochettino, I know him really well, and him start to tell about how good this guy could be. And then you you start to look at clips of how his team played and videos, and days later you're going, "Wow, this guy would be, this guy would be fantastic." But but I did see it, and uh, but no, no, I don't, I don't for one minute think that. I think that the work that the owner and uh, and Victor put in in travelling all the way to South America to convince Marcello to come, hundred um, percent was worth it. Very, very gifted man, deep thinker, deep tactician, and as we know from from Spygate, he does what it takes to win. And if you're a Leeds United supporter, you want your head coach to do what it takes to win. Yeah, nail on the head there, Steve. And this week's last question comes from Alex, who asks, although your time at the club was probably shorter than you would have wanted, what was your favourite and most proud moment whilst you were head coach of Leeds? Yeah, I think several proud moments. I think the first one that you were at, Sam, when you go in front of the faithful away at Pat Craven Cottage, you know, seven, eight, nine thousand fans of Leeds, mostly travelling all the way down from there and giving me some wonderful support. Uh, the first home win in seven, eight months but will never, ever go away. Um, the other games that stick in mind for me, which don't probably stick for some, against Hull at the Christmas fixture when we beat them when they were league leaders. It's a derby. Um, 
winning three nil away at Huddersfield. Um, I think I upset some and some people in that part of the country when they when they uh, were doing the press build up, and I said uh, the fact that our supporters have been on the M62 and it's a derby, they probably think they're ha- they're heading to Old Trafford. Huddersfield <laughs> <laughs> fans got a bit haughty with me. Um, I'll never, I'll never ever forget as well when we turned up at, at Bolton in the cup and we had more fans than the home team. And then Bolton's a club I started at as a kid, but we had more away fans. And that, and that last day at Preston will, will always be special. I think even when, well, I know, not even think, when we were leaving um, Preston after the game, there was an array of um, Leeds United fans around the coach and singing my name and saying they hope to see him in the new season. It was phenomenal. And that ends today's episode. Thank you to everyone for sending your questions and thank you so much for your time, Steve. It's been great having you on the show. Brilliant, guys. You just need to do the intros with marching on together. Don't oh, don't worry, that's sorted. Yeah, <laughs> it already do is. Do your intros with that little song. doesn't matter if you're a player. If you've been part of that fraternity, Ellen Road, it's, it's even now, I'll, now and again, I put it on in the car and my staff will laugh at me. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a song I'll be with me forever. Great club. You're lucky. <laughs> We'll be back next week with another guest. Stay tuned for the post over on our LUFC Fanzone Instagram later in the week. Thanks for listening.